Welcome to this podcast series asking the question, can art save us? In this series, I'm talking to artists, musicians, filmmakers, actors, art lovers and other creatives. I'm exploring how curiosity and courage not only creates great art and fuels the arts, but cultivates a healthy mind too. These same attitudes are cultivated in mindfulness practice with scientific and evidence-based results in the treatment of depression, stress and anxiety. So I'm asking, can art save us and help change the global epidemic of mental illness? And my guest this week is Mariah Nee, an artist and musician who performs through tap dance after she first studied classical piano and law. She's performed with classical orchestras, contemporary and jazz ensembles on concert stages around the world. She is also a recipient of the Dutch Jure Nassens Prize for Innovation in Music. Mariah's TED Talk featured her in the multi-award winning documentary One Million Steps, where she tap danced in the face of explosive protests, tear gas and fear in Gezi Park, Istanbul. The film documents the profound effect of her tap poetry. A very warm welcome to you, Mariah. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Paula. It's really my pleasure. I was wondering, when I wrote your introduction, would it be simpler to introduce you as a courageous musical poet? I really love that. <laughs> I think I, I will adopt that for myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love that you say that because the poetic and the idea of poetry has become so central to uh, to my thoughts and to the way that I approach art and through that also the way that I approach life. Um, so I, I've... I very much see not only poetry as uh, the art of words, but the poetic as this whole other field, this way of being that it is concerned uh, not so much with the day-to-day, the functional, but that it enters another space, it enters another uh, level, another area in which I believe the things work and can work very differently. It's interesting when you talk about space, when you're actually performing tap mm-hmm. dance and you put, a, you put a lot of emphasis on the space between the steps, in fact. So for people that may not be familiar with your work, could you expand on that idea of space? Yeah, uh, space. Well, maybe it's good to just paint you the picture of of tap dancing as this dance that happens, of course, in the, on a floor in a room, with with musicians preferably, or or um, or with words. Doesn't doesn't really matter. It can be alone, just the rhythm of the steps. But it also um, struck me while while doing this that when you make the hit, you make the beat, that actually that exact moment that the shoe hits the floor, um, everything's been done. You can't change it anymore, but it's exactly in the space in between where you make the impulse, where you can shift the rhythm or or get a new idea for, for change. So um, 
in tap dancing, you're very physically uh, encountering the space in between the beats as that is where you actually live and that's where you function. And then dancing like this actually, <laughs> it made me very much aware that the music is a space also. So it's not a, it's not similar, but the, the, as a, as a tap dancer, you can dance into the architecture of the music, which is built by the beats and built by the rhythm and built by the melody and the harmony. And you feel this really physical sense of finding where there's space to move inside this uh, musical space. And so I guess space started to really <laughs> become very present in, in many ways, not just as 3D space, but in music and then also in thoughts and in, in between people. Yeah, I find that especially interesting. Um, the fact that you have referred to um, tap dancing as, as a language, as an expressive form of, of poetry, and it does create space between your thoughts in that you're expressing yourself differently, perhaps without the confines and limits of our language and our automatic thinking that, that we're not always aware of, you know, how quickly we slap on judgments and labels on things. Um, and I like that emphasis you have on, on space and a way of expressing yourself differently. I guess space really, for me, it, it's uh, uh, which is really essential in there is is the aspect of the unknown, the aspect of the ability to change and to see what emerges in there. So when you look at uh, at rhythm, for instance, like the the beats that define it are are less than the spaces in between the beats. <laughs> So yeah. you, you create, and also the space in between the beats, even if it's going really fast uh, yeah. with tap dancing, you can do very fast beats, but still the space in between is kind of infinite because when you can grab it and it, it takes a bit of practice, right, to, to approach that space in between. But when you, you find the entrance to it, doesn't matter how small it was, but you can change everything. Yeah, yeah. So the, the size of the space in between, it, it it's... It doesn't really matter. It can be infinitely small to have an infinitely huge impact once you grab it. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. And, and, and when you consider space and mm. in the context of the film One Million Steps, the award-winning documentary that you were part of, a big part of, how, how did that feel when the context of your space was fierce protesting i think there were tens of thousands of people protesting mm. for their for their right of freedom to space in fact to protect their access to to Gazy park and the idea of you taking your performance into the middle to the center of that protest that space of conflict is incredible could you could you talk to us about that Yes, gladly so, because because I think that was, for me, also a pivotal uh, project, such an important moment. Um, 
I made the, the documentary with my friend and colleague Eva Stotz, who is uh, uh, the director mm -hmm. and documentary maker. And we had been speaking um, mainly before we went to Istanbul, we had been speaking about the difference between this functional space and the poetic space and how through the arts is one way to access that space that where where I think this aspect what I just uh, was talking about that that the actual size of the space doesn't matter but it can expand infinitely in its possibilities that's like a, a such an essential aspect of it of the poetic space so we had been talking how to uh, kind of put that in the spotlight how to um really activate that in the film and and we thought we should bring these poetic feet the tap dancing feet mm -hmm. into a very crowded big bustling city mm. and see what is the what what does it do what does it uh, uh, make possible there maybe it opens some other way of being in the, in the public space and then we thought where, where to go and um, Istanbul really, in, really intuitively presented itself to us as, yes, this is the place. And, and there were so many reasons, but the funny thing was that we had both not really been there. We didn't know. Mm. So it was also on kind of <laughs> the poetic image of, of, uh, of that place as a city of crossroads, a city where times really meet, where you can still find so much of, of ancient times and and older ways of living together with this hyper modern um, metropole, mm. uh, and then the meeting of religions is very strong in uh, in Istanbul. So I thought, ah, this is the place where where we have to go. So we we did go there and um, with this very simple idea in mind, not at all to do something political. I mean, it is political in a way, but. And we filmed even the first half of the movie or of the film in, uh, when was it, March, I think. We were there for the first time, March of 2013. And there was not really anything happening uh, there. But we did see that the city is uh, was very much in under pressure, let's say. So big parts of it were being transformed uh, uh, yuppification or how this gentrification. Yeah, gentrification, yeah. <laughs> or, or yuppification. <laughs> yeah, pretty much amounts to the same. Mm. Um, so old buildings being destroyed and, and new things happening there. And the, uh, a very, um, yeah, this brought kind of a troubled vibe to the city. We did, we did feel that. But then uh, in the months afterwards, the pressure in uh, in Gezi Park rose, and more and more people started to go there, really fighting for, or just being present in the beginning, actually for freedom to move and freedom to to. It was really anti-authoritarian, I think, and anti-capitalist in a way. Like, don't sell everything. Mm -hmm. Give us, leave us space to to breathe and to be and then when the when the yeah i should i should pedal back it's sorry it's a bit intricate story because when we had been filming we found such a 
positive response to the dancing mm. that everything was beautiful actually we we went to the bridge and people started singing with us and and dancing and uh, and and it happened everywhere like that and we were <laughs> trying to find some something more gritty mm. so we went into these uh, abandoned houses and uh, and and started to really gravitate to um to the more troubling things but still in the edit room when we got back uh, we didn't really find it mm. yet mm. and that's when the protests really burst out when we were editing and our friends that we had met during that time they were in the park and uh. we felt such a pull to be there such a need to go back and so we just bought tickets and went back wow and wow. Uh, and it 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 was really what we had been sensing before that there's mm. this troubled uh, aspect that just exploded mm. in the park and explosion is the word i mean um you know yeah. there's plenty of news footage available on on youtube still and it is very explosive and the police response was fierce so yeah. the use of water cannons um tear gas but even helicopters dropping canisters of tear gas um and even tent burning because i think there had even been a kind of festival vibe originally you yeah. know before as this momentum builds yeah um yeah, that's very true. you know so there was you know a very severe police response um Actually um, just to to hook on to that festival uh, 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 thing that was happening in the park, I think it was a very essential part of the of the protest. That, and when we arrived, it was maybe four days before they cleared the park. So we we had some experience of this uh, the atmosphere. And if we are speaking about the topic, can arts save us? Mm. I think there. Uh, in in that moment in Gezi Park, it really struck me as something essential about art and about culture. That, and actually even about the the notion of festival, it was this this place that was under enormous pressure, surrounded by a very grim reality of police. But inside, there was no. Um, Everyone that came there had left behind their daily lives, left behind their jobs, their studies, their uh, their care about money, actually, also, because there was no money in the park. Mm. And it gave this enormous space for people to meet that would never meet, that were coming from absolutely opposite sides of the political spectrum of, of, of uh, uh, their life views. Mm. And and I think that was for me an essentially poetic space in the mm. sense that it was lifted up out of daily life, mm. out of the daily narrative, yeah. political narrative. Yeah, yeah, because um, it, it kind of removed conflict and, and created unity. It, well, it actually created a, a pause. Yeah. Of the and in that pause, which you could say is a space in between, right? It's a space in between beats, and people could sense, I think, 
there was a possibility to connect in another way because it was freed from uh, a lot of the pressures of political agendas. And I mean, people have, uh, have remarked that Gezi Park protests failed because they didn't manage to make a, a long term or like a political statement uh, that was written, written and that could be uh, negotiated after. But personally, I think that was one of its big successes because it kept the space open for all this diversity to be together and not start to fight over what mm. should be point one and what should be point point number 11. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it felt like a dance actually. And of course you could say it's unified, it's unity, but actually I think it was, um, it was a space for diversity to really blossom. Mm. I and think, of this, sorry, carry on. Well, this is one of these images in the film where, where you see all these people dancing and uh, mm. in the park and the feet Mm. all these different uh, uh, feet and there was so much dancing there was so much music there and I, that always really hits me when i see that scene because it just speaks of the possibility for all these different people to connect yeah even in the temporariness of that space yeah essentially in the temporariness yeah i i felt there were some really really powerful shots um that just that just showed how important connection is and actually how simple it mm. is if it's allowed to be. So, for example, uh, prior to the actual protesting part of the documentary, you're uh, dancing in different areas, different spaces. And what's lovely is people would watch or two guys suddenly lay down a larger plank of wood <laughs> for you. They create an impromptu stage view. They want to participate. Everybody's enjoying it. And it becomes more and more playful. Or the old guy that hands you an orange. And I really loved that shot because he wanted to exchange something. And it was just the simplicity of, of what was happening, how everyone was responding simply to the fact that you were sharing these dance steps, these tap yeah. steps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. It, it's it's uh, interesting that in Istanbul, the responses were extremely spontaneous. And I think that's also because the, there is so much life on the streets there and people are very used to having music around and, and dancing and uh, so I think that that is a big part of it that um, that it could really have such a, a beautiful unfolding there mm, especially mm, because mm, people are so ready mm. to jump in yeah were you frightened returning so as you say you were editing the footage you had that at that point but you knew that you were still looking for yeah. a greater impact yeah you heard about how the protesting was was mounting or the feeling was mounting so when you flew back were you frightened or was it hard to know the scale of protest that was about to unfold no we knew 
we 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 know it was it was very clear to us um actually that's where i i really have to give so much credit to my colleague eva stotz the director uh who is just a hero in that sense that she um and i think that makes a good journalist and a good documentary maker she knows where she has to be so she was so uh strong in that and and i am um yeah i was very curious i was also very afraid yeah yeah but what's lovely what's interesting is you are afraid but you find the courage to do it anyway what what is that how how do you decide about either taking the risk or embracing that fear um for me personally it was i i i knew that uh, that this that this was part of the story that we had been diving into and and that's a huge drive it's like you are in the middle of a book and and it's just lying there and you have to know <laughs> you have to know because you're already so immersed and so involved and i really just remember very strongly and i think this is telling no, that the one factor that was decisive for me was my friends are there mm. i need to be there because what they are facing I want to um, be there with them. So there was a very strong sense of um, connection hmm. already built with, uh, with with them, actually, with the with the protest. Hmm. It it's uh, it's also interesting, like the this very explosive scene on the barricades. Um, where I'm dancing on top of the barricades and 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 the friend who's a percussion player he's drumming and then the crowd gathers and starts to uh, uh shout the motto of the protest basically and mm -hmm. uh, and then somewhere spontaneously out of the blue we didn't really took us by surprise this little uh, uh the man with the little trumpet comes and yeah. starts to play bella ciao <laughs> yeah and yeah. everyone starts to sing. And that's a moment that I, I will really never forget how empowering mm. that was for all of us. Mm. That when we started to tap it was and mm. play, it was a... We didn't know, what, will this be provoke the police to come? Some people that some of the protesters said no 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 you can't do this because they're just waiting mm. for the moment to come and clear the park this was this was obvious everyone was waiting the people in the park and the, and the police outside the, everyone was just waiting for that moment mm. but once the music really started to live mm. it swept all of us up and and we uh we really were infused with uh, with the power and with the joy. It's really significant what the what the documentary is witness to because, in a context of protest and that's literally about to erupt, 
you bring in this playfulness in effect and it it actually keeps things calm because people want to play back your friend Mm. wants to drum you know someone wants to dance somebody wants to hand you an orange you know there's just such a sweet innocent playfulness that seems to be the truer expression of that human experience except we're witnessing it in the context of what's about to be an explosive protest yeah 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 i i I have asked myself um, uh, because I remember also um, another moment very much removed in time and space in in Amsterdam biking with very rhythmic music on my headphones. And I remember thinking, oh, I could actually die right now and and it would be okay. And I thought, what a weird thought to have. And, And that it but I realized it was actually brought on by the intense rhythm that I felt so swept up that I thought I, I'm hardly attached to, uh, to my body anymore. I feel like so transported by this rhythm that I'm, I lose, lost all my fear to, yeah. uh, for bodily harm or for, for, for dying even at that moment. Mm, yeah. And, yeah, I wonder, um, you say playfulness, but I think in a way there was some of that trance also going on where you yeah. remove from fear mm. by being uh, really transported. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting idea because I was asking myself, you know, watching the film, you know, whether it was courage that was elevating your artistic expression um but that idea of kind of a trance-like state of transportation you know that whether that's a bigger part of that relationship to to help you face what was such a a frightening situation yeah i i think so because um uh, it transports and there is something also with rhythm that once you've done uh, once you've started it it, you get also caught up in its own forward motion. So um, the thought of stopping is, uh, is, becomes further and further uh, away, actually. It becomes harder and harder to... <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so you really do get, get caught up in, in, the, in the act and, and maybe caught up in this other level of, uh, of, of being, in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, of course, there is a moment in, in the film where you do stop. And, and the scene I'm referring to is I think the the protest is is so explosive now that you actually run for some safety yourself at some point and you stand um, in an empty building, but you're still in full view of the protest and you, you simply stand and cry. And it's clearly a traumatizing experience. And I, I wonder how, how you reflect on that now and whether you even feel now what you felt then at that precise moment. Um, what what happens is, uh, is the shock of physical engagement. 
and and this is a real shock uh, if you're not used to it. I think it was was maybe yeah one of the f few times in my adult life at least that I've been physically uh, really hit. Um, looking back, it it just has made me more appreciative of people who face this uh, uh, on a daily basis, or people who have to live in. Uh, in more violent situations because it also really made it clear for me at that moment I have to choose and I am still and this the film also makes very clear at that moment and also in how it yeah, how it ends we were saying how can this end we are not from here and even though many of the protesters were really ready to risk everything and some did and some paid that price we were not very obviously we were visiting we were guests observers very connected very much with them but not the same and i think we needed to face that also and step back and say okay this is our limit and um and acknowledge also that that there is a difference that there's uh, it's not our protest in that moment we had to acknowledge that also because we don't want to appropriate that uh, a fight yeah so in a way it was a different kind of vulnerability would you say you know your vulnerability there is a visitor compared to the vulnerability of an active protester yeah, I mean, in in the in the heat of the moment, you are all vulnerable, but we can step back and say, okay, until here. Would you say vulnerability and courage are more or less the same thing? Um, yeah, I think it it has been uh, said many times that it, you cannot have courage without fear. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. not about not not mm. being full of fear or not being vulnerable but but not being held back by that and and i think it's also very interesting that i cannot absolutely i can absolutely not say that i'm a courageous person uh, that would just not i don't even know <laughs> i think there's specific situations in which you are able to uh, follow what you think is needed mm. and for an artist i think this is many times connected at least for me as an artist with this curiosity that i've been immersed in something and i need to mm. uh, to to continue mm. to find the next uh, uh, mm. step and what do you think drives curiosity in your life you know personally and as an artist yeah, this is I, I. This is a mystery. No, yeah, I think it's the biggest <laughs> mystery, and I, <laughs> I, I connected very much to to questioning, and I, I've always thought that uh, maybe the biggest gift that you can get as a human is a question, a good question, like a real one, the one that 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 permeates your your being, because you can't force a question upon yourself. They have to kind of blossom 
in your own uh, system. And then the joy that comes with uh, with following it. I think curiosity. I was just thinking before we started, curiosity. Is it what is it actually? When I really connected to joy, also there's something driving you, mm. and maybe it's not always happy, but but there is this positive need to know. I think behind curiosity. Is there a sense of reward because curiosity is kind of driving an, an exploration and an expression? Perhaps it's a sense of reward from that process. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I connected very much to the driving force of rhythm. You know, when you mm. when you set up a rhythm, the expectation, the promise of this next beat is what you play with. So if I make a... Mm. You, you kind of can feel where it wants to go. Mm. And then the, for me, the fun and the art and the curiosity is when you have this. So you, you start to play with the, this kind of potential energy, this, this uh, um, projection of the rhythm by holding back or bringing it forward or doubling or and you also can feel when it's done yeah when its momentum is gone yeah so would you say when you made the choice of being um a musician through through tap having studied classical piano for, I think, at least 10 years. Was that an act of courage and curiosity to make oh, that choice? Rebellion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, was that your first protest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it, of course, I get a lot uh, uh, this... Uh, reaction from people that they say oh you're so courageous so you follow your I remember when I was working in my, my first job as a lawyer um, wow I I I thought actually it would have been very courageous for me to stay I, it, and it was no uh, it did not feel as a challenge at all to to follow my um, curiosity because you know as a lawyer, I thought I could see, I knew it was worth something, right? You can help people and you can, but I could, this is how I felt at the time. I could see my gravestone in a straight path ahead right. of me. I thought, okay, I know I can do this. I'll be fairly good. Maybe I will be a little better or a little worse, but I know I can do it. I just have to do it. And it, I did not see any challenge. I mean, that's just my personal experience. I'm not speaking about mm. that That all lawyers. Uh, mm. <laughs> just as it was how it was for me. And, and with tap dancing, I felt this huge curiosity. What's going to happen? Mm. I couldn't even see around the first bend of the road. Like, what will it look like? Can I do that? Is, what does it even mean to be a tap dancer? I just was fueled, I guess, by the momentum of kind of an inner rhythm that was awakened inside my body and my uh, 
my yeah. imagination. Yeah. It was interesting to read that I think it was whilst you were studying law that you discovered or rediscovered, if you like, TAP, or that's how you kind of re-entered yeah. that space yeah. even. Because I think as a child, you didn't even like tap dancing or musicals. There was no prior leaning. No. I loved music. I wanted to be a musician, but uh, but I had nothing uh, to do with tap dancing or indeed musicals. Uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> I, I did like uh, jazz Um when I was uh, in my teens, I started to crave this kind of complexity and the and the and the unexpectedness of uh, of jazz music. I like the unexpectedness of you then arriving at tap dance, despite you know not having that um, initial yeah. interest, if you like. What, what do you think? What happened in that moment? You know, when you found this class uh, whilst you were studying law. And, we and went along. Well, um, I should paint you the picture of what it meant to study law at that moment. Is um, sitting in in the university with a thousand people, mm. and the professor is very far away, and you have no connection, personal mm. connection with that person that is teaching you. Mm. And uh, I just remember I was extremely disappointed with uh, university i had very high hopes <laughs> mm. of, of you know finding a community of 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 inspiring people that want to learn and want to uh, but i i did not really encounter that even though the study itself was actually really interesting um and then when i went to the tap class which was the cultural center of the university uh, my teacher, Peter Kuyt, he was not only a fabulous dancer, he had this inspiration in his uh, way of teaching and in his artistry and a vision. He was a very visionary uh, uh, teacher. And a lot of charisma as a person that I thought, oh, that's how it can be. That's how, and I think that was a huge part of uh, of open that opened the possibilities of tap dancing for me. Mm. And when you and say, then, sorry, I was just I was just thinking what on that note when you said that's how mm. it can be. Mm. What you mean by it? Do you mean music, your musical experience, or do you mean your even your existence, your creative existence? Well, very specifically, I may mean uh, learning, mm. yeah, and and being uh, uh, engaged with uh, with with some something, yeah. Um, more generally, yes, I I think it it did go as as wide as as existence, yeah, yeah. yeah. And on the note of education, do you think? We should be educated to be more courageous and curious. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes I, I really do. And and I have a very simple uh, uh, equation that, that says a lot to me. Um, 
it is uh, the difference between learning three plus five is eight and learning eight is, and then there's a question mark and then there's infinite answers. And just this turn around and it, it opens the door, I think, to, to both curiosity and courage. I mean, the courage to, to go into that infinite space and then the curiosity to find uh, what is what is there, because also this this example, which is very uh, simple and very small, but it even shows that it's not random. What is behind this is eight is not everything, even though there's an infinite number of things that is eight. <laughs> so yeah. I think there's something that uh, I feel we are taught in our schools very much this three plus five is eight yeah. kind of uh, yeah yeah way of thinking yeah it, it seems that um we so easily fall into quite restrictive yeah thinking uh, yeah. habitual thinking and and which can be quite harmful you know we, we often talk about automatic negative thinking for example you mm. know the mind rehearses certain things over and over again and we just trip into it without having any of those spaces or creating spaces around those thoughts in order to try and think differently. It's interesting how when we talk about space in the mind, space between tap steps, space as in a public place like a park, all have really important roles to play in terms of our human experience and, and our sense of democracy, in fact. Yes. Yes, very much. And I think the uh, one of the things that has always troubled me a bit uh, uh, in 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 this three plus eight is five uh, three plus five is eight kind of thinking is that it really believes in one answer. And um, and I think the uh, the diversity and somehow and and many many uh there's many ways how to describe that feeling that that one right answer doesn't negate the other right answer it's uh um it's something very very basic but we we've been quite uh yeah sucked into this idea of one truth and a unified system in which everything neatly fits together and then you have it you have your right answer you have god basically or whatever mm. people uh, believes in mm. this kind in this kind of uh, systems mm. does this explain does this explain um your work with the European University Alliance for Global Health, the project mm. Embracing yeah. the Unknown. Yeah. Very much, very much. And I think it, it explains a lot of, of the, um, of what, what, what I think the arts can really uh, give, contribute to our sense of, uh, of democracy, as you say, in citizenship and how to live together, how to also grow together without needing to be the same <laughs> or needing to agree on everything is that when you make artistic work, you're always proposing um, a possibility and you cherish that possibility, but 
it's also very obvious it's not the only uh, uh, thing that that has value on the topic or on the and I think something like jazz music uh, is very strong teacher in this and that you play the same song over and over again but you keep exploring possible answers to how what does this song mean or what what is in there or where can it go so you're always expanding the truth of that song you're always exploring it mm. and there's no end in sight mm. and that is developing curiosity isn't it absolutely absolutely so it it uh, shows also the um these two you know the known and the unknown that they kind of need each other the known of the song it is necessary to um to how do you say to fuel the mm. curiosity mm. you're always standing on some kind of little stone of known and then you're looking out into the big unknown <laughs> mm. but without the stone you could be completely lost so i think there's a um that when when you when you uh think of of diversity and of uh, many truths you know that that it's not that nothing is true it's rather the opposite mm. Mm. there's many many things that that have their uh their existence as temporary stones of the known mm. And it's, and being able to invite in what all of these other possibilities are. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and I think uh, with embracing the unknown, you mentioned already this group that mm -hmm. uh, that we have created during the pandemic with uh, uh, some artists from all around Europe and one um, intercultural uh, teacher from the, the University of Paris. And um, there we work specifically with this idea of uh, inviting people to question, uh, question and then create their own moment. So we just, we do very simple things, but, but this, the uh, effect is that in everything, just this simple pen or, or a very simple question, it can open an infinite process of creativity and creation and, and exploration. Mm, mm. And it's it, and it, it really does highlight to me that this relationship between art and, and mental health, actually, because it's inviting in greater expression and encouraging yeah. wider observation. I think it, it's almost like... A... <laughs> like uh, putting the imagination into motion into movement and we know very well that the physical body needs this movement to to be healthy and that even for uh, things like depression that physical movement can help mm, yeah and i think in in quite a similar way moving the imagination can really help to um to function better, to feel better, to just practice and and uh, uh, stretch your imagination muscles. Mm. 
So. Mm, mm, yeah, no, it makes sense. Imagination muscles, because uh, you know, certainly now how neuroscientists and psychologists and understanding the mind, the brain, yeah, um, is very much as a muscle we can train. You know, we can change change um, in in positive ways, um, but it's it's yet to be a wider and wider education in in terms of that becoming a normal um yes approach you know for for all of us to be more aware of if you like taking better ownership of our own minds definitely and and i think the um again this opening this is you know when you open something that uh, uh through a creative practice um you open an area of possibility, right? If you have a, an empty page, you start drawing, you have a, a possibility to create something. Um, it also, I think, helps us to open to the other, to our uh, uh, fellow citizens, to the people that we are not even in the same place with, people mm. on the other side of the world. So it can really open, I think, the possibility for empathy also and uh, for connecting yeah that's really interesting because equally um there's studies um again involving uh, buddhist neuroscientists psychologists specifically looking at empathy and compassion and it's drawing out really valuable insights because it's beginning to recognize that compassion is the active state and empathy is the passive state so when we empathize you know we're very aware of our feelings of sympathy for example um, to uh, someone else's plight or a situation but understanding compassion as active also starts to encourage more thinking about how we can be compassionately active and in a way I felt that I feel that that reflects your tap dancing in Gazy Park. It was a compassionate action because people could respond. It, you know, there was an activity. How do you feel about that idea? Looking at at your artistic work as a compassionate action. Um, I I I think it's lovely, actually. Uh, this this notion and it really connects to something i'm i'm passionate about at the moment is, is that the arts could contribute uh it's a question could art contribute to an embodied practice of citizenship and and compassion is a necessary element in there no and i think i think uh, it's very very um uh, interesting to see if if the arts because they um, open spaces and make connections possible that um, how to say <laughs> that they could be carriers and practices of values yeah more than of technical skills yeah of production for instance or of uh, so it's not when you when i'm thinking of what could the arts contribute i'm not 
necessarily thinking everyone should produce more art. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Actually, I think I'm thinking maybe it is exactly the the practicing of these techniques, not yeah. the producing part, but the practicing part. Yeah, the active part that can help us to um, literally, physically practice compassion but also listening also how to dialogue in a way that doesn't threaten or overbear the other you know how to use your voice in a way that is creative and that is um that is maybe a little bit more uh able to express your personal views mm. and not uh the hype or the mm. you know the uh, socially accepted way mm, mm. whatever that may be in your your situation yeah so it's it's um living those values as you say embodied so art the arts help us practice yes uh, living those values or ex uh, discovering exploring expanding on values so that in exactly. fact art doesn't have to be a ticketed event it can be a way of life Definitely, and I think this this has a huge impact. And and uh, somehow this exact moment we are right now, after two years of of closing the theaters, uh, it is or could become very powerful moment because tragic as it was that the theaters closed, it's also almost like something has been released into society. That the theater, the stage where where uh, all the art was uh, happening in between this very small group of people and the rest is watching, yeah, uh, is a situation that is that is only a a, a small part of what the art can contribute. Mm. It's a it's a very powerful part, and I love it dearly. I would mm. never uh, uh, want to stop all performances but there's this other uh, possibility that we have as artists to share that yeah. i think will might become more strong now yeah it's interesting that there may be an irony in all of these restrictions it has kind of um in some ways liberated um how we experience um our lives how we experience the arts how we now want to expand on the spaces that are available to us. Because yeah. everything has been very much kind of built in terms of a hierarchy and the arts suffer from that badly. There's, there's a lot of elitism in the arts, you know, things like ticketed events, expensive tickets, um, prestigious places, um, you know, which can be very inhibiting yeah. uh, for other people. So is that your expectation, do you think, going forward, that you may be involved in more in more spaces that aren't necessarily traditional spaces for the arts? Well, it's complicated because uh, I hope, yes, and I, I fear also, yes, because I think that a lot of, you know, there's there's a huge mountain of unplayed performances 
at the moment. So for anything new to happen, it will be <laughs> it will be extremely hard. It's, there's like a a crunch time now on the stages. So a lot of us uh, will have to find other ways, and this is of course very uh, difficult and scary and and absolutely uh, <laughs> need a need a. It's frightening actually. So hope and fear for that uh, for that situation, mm. um, and I, I just wanted to say that the, that one thing that I, I hope also will happen is that all these new developments um, can be can be can be built as an expansion and an enrichment of normality of health, and not as the way to solve a problem yeah and this connects i think a lot to uh, to how we need to shift our perspective on on physical health mm. and mental health that the health of a society that it needs these kind of practices that yeah. we have almost completely written out of our societies and and out of our ideologies yeah, and it goes back to that earlier question uh, when I asked you: Do you think um, we, you know, we need to be taught courage and curiosity again? I think that relates to what you've just said. You know, there are certain things that are being written out, and it's very easy to feel very oppressed with difficult circumstances, heavy politics, choices that aren't our own. You know. Um, and so it can become harder to find your courage again and find your curiosity again. But in that, there is so much magic and possibility. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And um, um, I remember my my uh, niece, who I, I think I told you about at some point, that she's also an artist and she's actually writing about curiosity right now. She's yeah, doing that's her amazing. research. Yeah, <laughs> we have to join up. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and, and she she says, I'm I'm not so um, interested anymore in the big questions. I actually want to focus on the small things. And I've, I personally, me now, Mariah, I feel very much the same that it's the small things between people that that we have lost uh, a way how to how to work in there how to be in these small spaces and um, and I think it's it comes with our ideology of of uh, mass production and that bigger is better and only when the scale gets huge is there any you know, significant earning to be had. Yeah. And this is a, a big problem. I think uh, this this idea of the market and of production, it permeates mm-hmm. more and more mm-hmm. our and lives. It and it, it becomes really- a deprivation, in fact, because if, if you can only strive and aspire to what you think is big in order to have any kind of significance, is a massive deprivation because, you know, each step we take you know each breath we take each present moment needs to have its own meaning and we definitely and every relationship uh that that we have Mm. 
there's there's something um uh going on i think in the arts world uh that is the grassroots level of individual artists who have really felt that they are so perniculous uh, in such a perniculous situation and so uh um invisible in a way to the system yeah and they are connecting uh, in these networks that that shows a power of the very local uh, kind of connecting on a on a bigger scale, on a European scale and on a global scale even. Mm. And I have a I I I say I believe in these networks, but I definitely enjoy them. This I know for sure. And I really hope that these uh, that this can be a new way to create this bigger meaning because it is true that in this globalized world you need some kind of clout <laughs> mm. some kind of mass to be present but can we find a way that this mass can still palpably and very practically be built of little small detailed very deep individuals yeah no it's really interesting because just as we i'm afraid unfortunately hit our hour it goes so fast <laughs> it it really does but um it brings us to a, a maybe an interesting end point from what you were just saying and in fact it was a comment you made on on the documentary one million steps um which was one of the very powerful experiences, or one of the many <laughs> powerful experiences for you um, in that film was um, when you saw people stand still and you referred mm. to their determination to be. What did that presence feel like at that time? What did that mean for you? It was extremely powerful to uh, to witness extremely powerful and it, it i do connect it to uh to this the infinite possibility of space when there's not anything said yet the silence before the music starts the silence before the poem is spoken there is this richness and and i connected to the moment in the concert hall indeed just before you said this expectancy and there's maybe thousands people silent together waiting curiously for what's going to happen and there there's a extraordinary beauty in that moment and an extraordinary promise Mm -hmm. And um, it's a healthy curiosity. It does show that role, doesn't it, for, for curiosity? Definitely, um, definitely. And it shows how we need structures, uh, forms that can carry that. We need to be prepared ourselves, but we also need these forms, I think, that we can share this kind of moments, yeah. both actively and uh, and as a as a community, this this waiting, yeah, yeah, <laughs> purposeful can, waiting, yeah, purposeful, expectant waiting. So to unfortunately end, 
I'm just wondering what your next million steps might be. Ooh. <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping to write, to do research and write on this uh, this topic of uh, citizenship and what the arts could contribute. Oh, fantastic! On that. Oh, fantastic! Well, you must keep me posted. It's I just think it's just so core to how societies can recover and how we can recover and hopefully sustain some healthier ways of living and yes, he as healthier as well. mental health as well yeah yeah health yeah maybe curiosity courage and creativity is almost the mm. definition mm. of health no? it's yeah way to yeah look at it. yeah healthy it's, system yeah the, the global prescription yeah. <laughs> well mariah i can't thank you enough for your time it's been really thought-provoking so i'm hoping that um listeners will extract all sorts of new ideas and possibilities even about their own courage curiosity how they think their own imagination so thank you very much for bringing in all of those those thoughts well thanks so much for inviting me it's it's always a pleasure to exchange thoughts and and this has been really enjoy joyful exchange Thank you, Mariah, and I will keep you posted. Great.